The focus of the second parak is the leniency which the Rabbanon granted for making a Rishayachid around a well which is in a public domain, so that those who were walking up to the Beis HaMikdash could access water on Shabbos. Since the well would usually be considered large enough to be a Rishayachid, a private domain, without making an enclosure around it, it will be forbidden to draw water from the well because you will be taking water from a Rishayachid into a Rishasarabim. And therefore a Rishayachid needs to be created around the well. And the Rabbonin allows you to have lots of gaps in the walls and just make it up of lots of different boards which are separate from each other. And then you would be able to draw water from the well and be able to feed your animals the water. Now since there were very large gaps in the walls, it could happen that the people walking through the public street would end up also walking through the enclosure. They might walk through a gap in the wall, sort of on their way as they're walking, and then exit through another gap. And so the Mishnah tells us that Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, If a public pathway was making a break and interrupted this Rishus HaYachid, so then it loses its distinct status of Rishus HaYachid, of a private area for the sake of the well, and as such, he's and he needs to make sure that he moves it to the side and make sure that the public pathway does not go through this private area. Private in the halachic sense. He doesn't need to because since at the end of the day he's got the necessary walls and boards, this is considered to be a Rosh Even if lots of people are passing through it, that doesn't make a difference and you can still carry within that area and draw water from the well into that area. And the Mishnah continues to tell us that the leniency of using just boards to make up the wall and having lots of gaps in the wall, this leniency applies whether to a public pit of water, so this will be a large hole which collected water and kept water inside that hole in the ground, but it wasn't actually a source of water, or a public well, and the well is connected to a source of water, and as such there is no concern that the water will run out, Unlike with a pit, with Er Hayochid, and also with a private pit, if it's privately owned, in any of these cases, Oisin Lohen Pasen, one is allowed to use boards to make this Rosh Hayochid around them, and the leniency does apply to them. However, Avalavur Hayochid, but when it comes to a pit of water which is owned by an individual person, and it's not used by all of the public, Oisin Lohen one needs to make a regular partition and a regular fence of ten tefachim high, and this Durabonon leniency does not apply. And the reason for this is because, as we mentioned, a pit is not connected to a source of water, and there is a concern that on Shabbos the water will run out. Now, since the whole leniency of the Rabbonon was only for the sake that somebody will be able to get water on Shabbos, so if there's no longer any water, the leniency does not apply. Now, when it comes to a public pit, you're still allowed to use this leniency, since because everybody is using it, as soon as the water runs out, the word will spread very quickly and people will know about that. So they won't come to carry within this area since they know that the leniency no longer applies. However, if it's owned by an individual, then people don't really find out if the water has run out. And we're concerned that they might come to carry in that area even after the water has run out on Shabbos. And therefore you have to make a real fence around it and make it into a real Rishus HaYochid without this Midyabonon leniency. The Rabbi Akiva, that is the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. We have not in there. Rabbi Huda ben Bova takes it a step further and he says that one is only allowed to use his leniency of using the boards for a public well. Since it's a well, there is no concern that the water will run out because it's connected to a natural source of water. But with all the rest of the things, 
one needs to make a regular fence of 10 fachim high and the leniency does not apply. So according to any pit, since it does not connect it to a source of water, we are concerned that it will run out on Shabbos. And even if it's a public well, Rehudman Bova does not rely on the fact that people will find out about it. He's still concerned that people will come to carry there even after the water has run out. And the reason why a private well is forbidden, even though there's no concern that the well will run out. Nevertheless, a contributing bother, the entire leniency was only so that people coming out for Sholish Regolim will be able to access water. It wasn't made so that this private individual can now get the water. It was only done for Kalisal, for the public. And therefore, if it is privately owned, the leniency does not apply. Mishnah Hey, we learned a couple of Mishnahs ago that if an area is not designated for living, for example, if it's a storage area outside of the city, then one cannot make an Erev for an area of more than two Beisar. Because an area of more than a Beisar Sayim of two Beisar is considered to be like a Karmelis. Since no one really enters there in general, it's more like a large open area. And therefore the maximum size you can make the Erev and for it to be considered a Rishat HaYachid is a Beisar Sayim. And we already saw that this is a Machlekes. Now after bringing the stringency of Rabbi Hudman Bava in the previous Mishnah, the Mishnah continues with Bava said another stringency with regards to the laws of Erevin. Haginva Karpef, a garden and a storage area which is outside of the city. Shame Shivim Amavashirayim al Shivim Amavashirayim, which is 70 and a bit Amas by 70 and a bit Amas. Altogether that equals an area of 5,000 square Amas, which is a base of Sayim. So an area of a base of Sayim and no larger, Mukhevas Golagavayasarazfachim. If it's surrounded by a fence of 10 fucking high, then then you are allowed to carry in there. But it's not enough that it has to be maximum the size of a base of Siam. adds another condition, and that is, as long as within that area there is a guard hut at least, or some sort of house for one to live in, there's got to be something there which somebody uses constantly. For the sake of living, or he needs to be right next to the city. So it's an area where he enters pretty much every day. So that's the pin of a bitumen bubble. It has to be maximum a base of asayim, and it has to have something there which is which shows that the area is for the sake of a living place. Now Rabbi Yehuda agrees with the Yehudan Bava that one needs both of these two conditions. However, he says that for it to be considered a place where one lives and uses, one requires much less than an actual guard hut. Even if there's only a pit in it, or a shiach, some sort of rectangular square pit, or a cave with water in, this is enough for it to be considered a place where one lives, or a place which one uses enough so that it won't be considered a karmelis, rather the Erev will help for it to be considered a rishus hayochid. So in that case, you can carry in there. Now Rabbi Akiva, third opinion, holds that the entire second condition that it be considered a designated for living, they have to have something there which shows that you live there, or use it constantly, Rabbi Akiva holds that you don't need that. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, Even if it hasn't got any of these things, one is still allowed to carry in there. As long as it is an area of 70 and a bit Amas by 70 and a bit Amas, and no more. Alright, now when it comes to the exact dimensions of the Basel Siam, if you recall this, this maximum amount of a Basel Siam, this maximum area, is learned from the size of the courtyard in the Mishkan. There was also a Basel Siam. 
Now the courtyard was not 70 and a bit amas by 70 and a bit amas, rather it was a rectangle, it was 50 by 100 amas. Now according to Yezer, not only is the actual area, the total area learnt from the Mishkan, but also the dimensions and the size of each side as well. Now that doesn't mean that it has to be exactly 50 by 100 amas. The truth is Rebbe says that it can even be a square of 70 by 70 amas, or it can be 100 by 50 amas, or anywhere in between. But you would not be able to make the length more than double the width. So when it's 100 by 50 amas, the length is double the width. So that is allowed, and anywhere between there and a square of 70 and a bit amas by 70 and a bit amas, that would be permitted because it is still similar enough to the way the Mishkan was set out. So Rebbe says, If its length was even one amma more than its width, and the Gemara explains that actually Rebbe means that if its length was more than double its width, then then one is not allowed to carry there. On the other hand, Rebbe says, even if its length is double the width from Talzim Saicha, then one is allowed to carry there. And the Gemara explains that Rabbi Yaisi holds that we only look at the length and the width. And we say that the length should not mean more than double the width. But we do not look at the length of the diagonal from one corner to another. That can be more than double its width. However, Beliezer holds, and this is really the Machlikas between Beliezer and Rabbi Yaisi, that no sign, even the diagonal, even that cannot be double the width. Mishnah after having a few Mishnahs discussing the maximum area of a base of Sayyim, the Mishnah brings a different opinion. Omar Biloy Biloy said, Shamatim Ribliezer, I heard from Ribliezer, my Rebbe, that Filuhikaves Kur, it can even be the area of a base Kur, which is where 30 of barley can be planted. So it's 30 times as large as a base That is the maximum area which one can make an Erev in, if it's if outside of the city. So he's much more lenient than the previous opinions. Continues the Mishnah. We're going a bit sidetracked now. V'chein shomatim imenu. Ayyubi also heard from Rabbi Eliezer. Another halacha to do with Erevin. And this is regards to a regular Erev Chatseros. Now with Rabbon on it's forbidden to carry in a courtyard. If let's say you have lots of different houses which open up into a courtyard which they share. Since it is shared property, Midrash Bonawan cannot carry there on Shabbos unless all of the people in the courtyard make an Eruve Chatzeris together. And the point of the Eruve Chatzeris is to show that all of the people in the Chatzer are really like one, like one large group who collectively own this courtyard. And it follows therefore that if one person in the courtyard does not join, with, join in with the Eruve Chatzeris, then it's a problem because now it's not joint ownership of a group, it's still rather separate individuals who each have ownership in the courtyard. Now if one person doesn't join the Erev, then there's still a solution. Once Shabbos has come in, they can no longer join the Erev, but they can be mavatal their Roshus. Bittal Roshus is when they nullify and free their ownership of their part in the courtyard. You can say that my part, my ownership in the courtyard, I am making ownerless, it's, it's not mine anymore. And that way, once again, the courtyard will be considered everybody else's who are part of a group and it will be permitted to carry in that courtyard. So, if one of the people who live in the courtyard forgot to be part of the Erev, and so he was mavatal his rishus, he let go of his ownership of the courtyard, it's forbidden for him to bring things in or out of his house. The reason being that if he starts using the courtyard, it looks like he's going back on his statement to make the courtyard free of his ownership, 
because he's still using it. So for him to start bringing things in and out of the courtyard will be forbidden because it would mess out the entire area of Chatzeris. But for the other people who live in the Chatzer, it is permitted, and they can even take things from the Chatzer into his house, because now this is considered really one courtyard and one shared place, and by them carrying things in and out of that house, makes no difference. It's not going to show that the other person goes back on his word to free his part in the courtyard. The opposite. They're using his part in the courtyard now, which shows that it's theirs now, that it's part of the group's. The point is that the person who has mavatal his own rishus, he cannot continue to use that courtyard properly. All right, and now the Mishnah goes in more sidetrack. I also heard from him from a Eliezer that one can fulfill his obligation of moror on Pesach with a particular herb called akrivonim. This was considered one of the species of moror which one can fulfill his obligation with. According to Eliezer, but the Mishnah recalls at the end of this parak, went around to all of these students of Rabbi Eliezer, and I searched for a friend. I mean, I searched for somebody else who also heard these halachas from Eliezer, but I didn't manage to find one other person who heard the same thing from Eliezer. So they are not necessarily that reliable, but those are the three halachas which he recalled from Eliezer. The next few parochim discuss a Ruvay Tuchumin, which is when one wants to travel further than the Tuchum Shabbos, further than 2,000 Amas from the edge of his city, what can he do? Now one is never going to be able to travel more than 4,000 Amas in one particular direction outside of the city on Shabbos. All a Ruvay Tuchumin helps to do is that instead of having 2,000 Amas to a particular direction, it gives you 4,000 Amas. Now how exactly does an Ruvay Tuchumin work? So the truth is that the reason why one has 2,000 Amas in general from every direction from the city is because his Mokim HaShavisa, the place where he lives on Shabbos, is considered to be the city. And the law of Tuchum Shabbos is that he has 2,000 Amas in every direction from his Mokim HaShavisa. Now what Erev Tuchumin does is that it says that instead of considering my Mokim HaShavisa to be the city itself, I'm going to consider somewhere else to be my, my Mokim Shavisa. So instead of having 2,000 Amas in every direction from the city, I'm going to have it from somewhere else. So there are basically two ways to make it Erev Tuchumin. Could be you put food somewhere, or it could be you actually walk there before Shabbos. But in general, it was done with food. So let's say somebody places food at the edge of the 2,000 Amas to the east of the city. And that is Erev Tuchumin. The Hizmok Mashavisa is now over there. And he has 2,000 Amas in every direction from there, not from the city. So that means that on Shabbos he can travel 4,000 Amas into the east of the city, because that is all within the 2,000 Amas of his Erevi Tuchumin, but he would not be able to travel at all to the west of the city, since that is further than 2,000 Amas away from his Mokim Shavisa, because his Mokim Shavisa is no longer the city. So that's how Erevi Tuchumin works. Now there's another concept known as Shittif Mavoyais, which is very similar to Erevi Chatzeirais, but instead of all the people who live in houses which join into the Chotzer, instead of them joining together, Shittim Mavoyas is when the different courtyards join together to be able to carry in the street which they share, which the courtyards open up into. And again, that's done with food. They all put food together in one place, and that shows that their living place is really one place, and they all share, to some degree, that street. So the Mishnah says, "Bakol ma'orven u'shtatven." With any type of food, one can make a rivet tochumin or shittiv mavoyis. If you put food there, it shows that that's considered your living place. Chutz when I'm when I'm elach, except for water or salt, 
This wouldn't work for an Erev since it's not considered substantial enough, it's not considered a meal, and therefore not good enough for Erev. Because the whole point of the Erev is to show that it's your living place. So you've got to put a real meal over there. Okay, now the Mishnah goes a bit sidetracked and discusses a law of Meisr Shani. The halach is that a tenth of one's produce needs to be separated and taken up to Yerushalayim and eaten over there. Now, if somebody has lots of produce, it's very impractical to take it all up to Yerushalayim. So you can redeem it in his city, redeem it all onto money, money which is worth that amount of produce. Then you can take out the money to Yerushalayim and spend the money on food in Yerushalayim and eat it over there. And that food would now gain the status of Maishashani produce. So the Mishnah says that once one, once one buys the produce in Yerushalayim, what, what type of food can you buy? Hakolnik of Any type of food can be bought with Maishashani money. Even though the original Maishashani had to be something which grew from the ground, when it comes to buying the food in Yerushalayim, one would also be able to buy things like meat and other such food, except for water and salt. One cannot spend Maishashani money on buying that, since one needs to buy real food. And that is not considered substantial enough. Now what about forbidden food? On the one hand it's considered food, on the other hand you can't eat it, so is that considered good enough to make it your living place? So if it's food which is totally forbidden, then definitely not. But says the Mishnah, A Nazar can use wine for his aid of Tuchumen. Or for his shittim of Even though he can't drink the wine, it's still considered permitted food, and other people can drink the wine, and so that is considered significant enough and would help him for an Erev. As well as that, a Yisrael truma, one can use truma for the Erev of a Yisrael, even though truma can only be eaten by Kayanim, it is still considered real food. Sumchus Oimer, Sumchus argues, and Sumchus says, Bechulin, one needs to use Chulin for a Yisrael, which is food which anybody can eat and not just the Kohen, because for a Yisrael, truma is not considered a meal at all. So that can't be considered his living place because he put some food over there, because that food is totally forbidden for him. Now the Gemara notes that Sumchus does not argue on the case of the Nazir using wine, which implies that Sumchus does allow the Nazir to use wine, even though he does not allow the Yisrael to use truma. And the Gemara explains that since a Nazir, who is somebody who is forbidden to drink wine and he's got some other prohibitions as well, but the way one becomes a Nazir is by making a vow that he will be a Nazir. Now as with all vows, once one has made the vow, one is allowed to annul the vow. As long as he goes to Talmud Chacham and does it in the correct way, he can annul the vow and he can make it permitted once again. So since for the Nazir, wine is not intrinsically and totally forbidden, because he himself could technically become permitted to drink that wine, so Sumchus agrees that the Nazir can use wine for his Erev. Now as we said before, an Erev Etochumen defines where one Mokrim HaShvisa is, where his place of living on Shabbos is, and because of that it has to be placed in an area where he is allowed to go. So for example, when a Kohen cannot get his Erev to be placed in a graveyard, because a Kohen is forbidden to enter the graveyard, so that can't be considered his living place. However, the mission says that a Kohen with a pras, a Kohen can get somebody to place his Erev in a Beis pras, and that will help. A Beis pras is an area where there was a grave and it was ploughed over, or it was dug, and because of that, we're not sure where exactly the bones of the dead body are and it could have been spread across the whole area. So it's a considered Mijabonon Tome, in case there are bones around, and therefore Mijabonon, a Kohen, cannot enter that area. However, 
technically the coin could still enter the area if he's very careful and he looks ahead of him for any bones. And because of that, since it's only forbidden Mijabonon to enter, and he could technically enter by making sure that he doesn't become Tomei from any bones, so his Eruv could technically be placed over there, and it would be considered his Mokimash Visa. Now Yehuda says, Even in a definite graveyard, where Kohen is certainly not able to enter, if his Eruv is there, then it is okay, because he can actually go into the graveyard, if if he makes a partition. If he doesn't just walk into the graveyard, but he goes in with something like a box around him, if let's say technically somebody would carry the coin in a box, which is surrounded on all sides, then that blocks the tumor from entering the box and entering the coin. And so there is a way for the coin to actually enter the graveyard. And according to Yehuda, that is enough of a way for it to be considered his Mokhamash Shavisa. Since it is possible for him to go there, even if it's not practical, he is still able to go there in a box, Velechel, and eat what he puts there for his Erev, and so it will help him to make that his Makamash Shavisa.